0: And welcome to another episode of The Dice Are Screaming.
1: Oh,
0: it's more of a plaintive wail than I think of a scream. Well, i got to work on that. <laughs> and you're back with, You don't know my dice.
1: What they've judge. suffered is inexplicable. God, if, if, if I were treated by my dice the way I have treated them, I would be covered in
0: sticky mountain dew and left under an old couch. <laughs> True. But you're back with Randy. And Mike! Yeah. So, this time around, we're going to punch out a good old subject. So, you've decided to invest in your role-playing game, no matter what it is. Dungeons & Dragons, most likely, probably, maybe even Pathfinder. But whatever you've done, you've decided what your game is, and now you're going to sit down and start running a game for your friends. So, where do you start? Well, obviously, you can start with a pre-prepared campaign world. A lot of games, like RuneQuest, come with their own. Uh, other ones like Dungeons and Dragons have the Forgotten Realms and now they're going to be doing Eberron and Ravnica, but you can also delve in the past, get some Ravenloft or some Greyhawk or even Dark Sun. But no matter what your, if you're using a campaign world, no matter what your preference is, you all have to start somewhere. So whether you're homebrew, and if you're doing homebrew, it becomes a little bit more problematic. So we'll start with the pre-prepared ones. And just because you're using a pre-made campaign world, doesn't dictate necessarily that you just follow in the numbers. It's up to you to bring everything to life. And sometimes you can improvise and change things that you don't like or are unclear about. And that's where the real magic starts to happen. Now, Mike does a homebrew, so I'm going to turn it over to him about some of the challenges of homebrew campaigns when you first start out.
1: Yeah, and by homebrew, let me be very specific that this does not necessarily mean radical alterations of the rule set in whatever campaign you're working with all right uh, what this means is that if you're ready you have handcrafted your own world populated with nations and languages and currencies and politics uh that are uniquely created for your own campaign uh, you can get the same stuff out of a box uh you know there's there's no one true path uh any product out there is certainly as as good or as interesting as anybody else's imagination. But if you're using a homebrewed system, rule number one, have it all figured out before you put it into play, and get your players on the same page. They've got to know the rule set and the operating system, the, the little changes and differences that they would otherwise run into by surprise. Get everybody on the same page, whether it's
0: homebrew or uh, out-of-the-box product. Yeah. And one of the things is, you start with that, the easiest way is Session Zero. Now it started recently with Pathfinder, but I found it useful in almost every game I've played, whether it be Warhammer 40,000, Dark Heresy, or uh, RuneQuest. You start out you all sit your players down. You're not going to do, get a whole lot of gaming in, but what you're going to do is create your characters. Now, as they're creating your characters, also as a game master, you set down those expectations. You set down home... Uh, house rule changes, excuse me. You're going to set down your expectations for the campaign. This is going to be combat heavy. This is going to be um, an expedition into the wilderness, so you're going to need characters with wilderness and survival skills, etc. Et but you set those expectation down, it helps the players create characters that are going to work with your idea. Now sometimes, too, you can just start with a sandbox, and we're just going to touch on this real life. If you're doing a sandbox campaign, which is wherever they're going to go, there may be a dungeon or an adventure locale nearby, start small. Start with a small a town or village or even just a Hamlet, Village of Hamlet. Perfect example. Oh, a classic. Yep, that has a lot—a place where players can explore the setting, get some help from some NPCs, and go on an adventure, and also have support and a place to heal up, buy supplies, restock equipment, and go back into the adventuring environment that you prepared. But more importantly, back to session zero um, is your setup of players and management style. And mic.
1: Yeah, make your players acquainted with your style as a DM. Are you a traffic cop who is, you know, pretty broad-minded towards adventures drifting off of preset paths? Or do you have a really specific plot in mind? Communicate this to the players because they're gonna need to know it. It will impact their Mm decision-making process. I'm not saying they won't bucket the reins or that they might make decisions that catch you off guard. That's part of gaming. If you DM, you run into those moments, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if they are reasonably well-informed in advance of what's going to be required of them as the campaign goes on, they can build characters that can meet those expectations. Because the last thing you want is a, you know, party with three wizards and a rogue uh, going into a combat-heavy scenario. It's just a, a recipe for having extra character sheets ready on the sidelines to take the place of the guys you just made. And for campaign play, you really don't want that. Uh, I would actually recommend just sitting down in that first Session Zero and spilling the beans a little bit. I'm not saying open the kimono and do jumping jacks, (laughs) uh, but... What analogy. (laughs) Yeah, you've got that picture in your head now. Wow. Um... Sorry about that, but while you're not supposed to just give everything away, don't give them the keys to the kingdom, do let them know that you have plans for this campaign, Uh, or if there are no plans and it's all up to the dice and the character's whims and you're prepared to let them just wander the world in search of their fortune and drop opportunities for adventure near them, uh, let them know that in advance too. Um, you know
0: and always start out small and work your way outwards. it's the easiest way to do it um, there's a lot of different ways that you can start out small like we said the village to a small town but wherever you do be ready for them to move on and you know when the village gets kind of too small for them have a nearby city and therefore your campaign automatically expands well, what's the name of this city and who's in this city and what are the rules there and therefore the gives the illusion that you were prepared all ahead of time, but really all you had to do was just wait and watch what they wanted to do next and also be ready to listen. Just having a little bit of preparatory work ahead of time, even if it's just a name or just big ideas on a piece of paper, that can be the basis for the rest of that development in those areas. So it's important to keep your ears open to what your players are wanting to do next. But also, party balance. Touched on that. Um, when you have a party, a lot of times you know the the familiar four: the fighter, the healer, the spell slinger, if you want to call it that, and the sneaky guy. Okay. Now <laughs> you can throw. You can say you know you can have rangers and barbarians and, whatnot, and then what not. Whatever your campaign is, whatever your game is running, that's going to dictate that. But you definitely don't want to have at the aforementioned party: three wizards and a row Now they may be great and well developed characters but they're just not going to survive very long on their own. So, D&D has an expectation, especially uh, old school, that somebody's got to pony up and play the healer. Now, it doesn't just have to be a cleric. It can be a druid, or even a paladin at certain points. Or somebody with a good herbalism skill to help out on a secondary role, like a ranger.
1: Yeah, just long enough to help the party get to a level where they can access healing potions, uh, although they're going to be cashing in a lot of loot on healing gear. If they don't ultimately suck it up and add a healer to the mix. Uh, It's terrific if you can find somebody willing to do that and of course if all else fails and I preferred not to do this because it's it's a little bit of a gimme gimme and extra work for the DM, uh, you can always NPC a cleric if you have to. I mean if you've got a bunch of people who are absolutely adamant that uh, you know they've got enough party mix, and there's just no wiggle room, and no one will budge and try a cleric. Uh, you can NPC it, but uh, my personal preferences lean towards. It's your decision to make, and let the consequences fall where they may. You yep.
0: uh, know, I think that's a lesson in itself. but, well, but most you have <coughs> options, so do what do what you see fit. Yeah, most of the newer games make uh, playing a cleric less of a drudge. Like First edition, it was pretty much the cleric. There was no real versatility other than the basic personality you ascribed to it. You could be Thelan the Wise or uh, Salus the Dark, and that was about it. The names and some of the approaches you took, you got the same spell in the second edition and others. We could go on about that and how they changed it. But now, really being a cleric, especially in the Forgotten Realms, like being a cleric of Torm, is a much different experience than playing a temp, uh, cleric of now, forgive me if I get this wrong, the Goddess of Luck, is that Taichi? Oh, dear, I don't remember. Oh, you've actually caught me off guard. Oh. Taichi, ha- I don't know. Taichi, or the Goddess of Luck. Yeah, so well, there's a difference between a go- follower of the Goddess of Luck and the follower of the God of War. So there is a lot in between that, where in some cases, a cleric of Torm can be a very mighty <laughs> participant <laughs> in combat indeed. So
1: Yeah, as you moved into later editions, uh the concept of toolkits and adjustable characters, uh, points-building systems, uh, you know, unique special spells that were just for, you know, very specific clerics of uh, certain faiths. That idea was long overdue. It brought a life to the cleric that had not existed before and that is still enjoyed to this day. Examples of it can be found everywhere. The the ability to customize a cleric has helped out a lot. Because yeah. you no longer have to browbeat. you like, all right, dude, seriously, I will, I swear to God, I will buy your entire next pizza and a six-pack of Mountain
0: Dew if you do it just this once. Okay, so I'll play a cleric at Yeah. <laughs> Didn't have to talk me into that one. Um, so you set out your party balance, and mostly your players will work together. Let's talk about party signs. Now, back in the old days, and we're not going to beat this one to death, but... You could have, with 1st Edition ad a party of 10 people and still have a pretty well-balanced group, especially how multi-classing worked. For instance, you could be a halfling fighter thief and you know help take up some of the slack in frontline fighting. Or dwarf fighter thief, like that miniature I'm painting on Twitter. Look um, that up. Uh, yeah. yeah. Dwarf fighter thieves were uh, quite common in the days because, well, they had a lot of good fighting abilities and darn good trap-finding skills.
1: Yeah, those stone sensibilities came in mighty handy. They they piggybacked really handsomely yep. with the thief skills.
0: And then having like a dwarf, fighter thief along with a normal thief, or you know an elven thief, or half elven thief, or what have you, a single class thief. You could have three or four thieves in the party, and none of them were tripping over each other's toes much. And it made for a pretty formidable tramp finding group Like could spring traps and scout ahead, along with a number of fighters, fighter elven fighter magic users primarily. Warborn fighter clerics, and of course our ubiquitous orc fighter assassin. But we won't talk about that guy. I mean, there's still some bad blood about that. Uh,
1: but party size has changed since the old days. Now uh, the average maxim that they seem to put out there for people these days is between four and six players with one DM. So uh, a table of about five to seven people is the baseline. Uh, and with the crowd, you really do have to find ways to, if your character skills overlap, they should at least include a few tidbits that are unique to you alone. This gives every single player an opportunity to let their character shine and that's, it's essential to people's enjoyment of the game. Uh, The ability to fully and properly enjoy playing a character comes from feeling useful and having an impact on the game environment that is unique from your partners. Anybody can, well, the fighter does all the hitting stuff with the sharp thing, Uh, you know, and the rogue is the trap buster and, you know, sneak who scouts ahead. Yeah, Uh, the mage spell slinging and curse breaking somebody to bail you out of trouble when you really shouldn't have picked that magical item up without Mm -hmm. first checking what it did. Uh, And that cleric is more important than ever in a small group because Somebody's got to patch you back together in the middle of the fight because it ain't over yet. They're all useful. They're great archetypes.
0: And it's like a big piece of pie. The more players you have, the more slices you have to make, and the thinner the slices are. That also takes away from a little bit from, Especially in a very role-playing-heavy environment for a political or um, exploration game, it takes a lot away from central characters when only a few have those particular skills. But again, those are esoterics that... Vary from campaign to campaign and rule set to rule set. But I think we covered pretty well the basics of getting a party started with rule zero. Setting up your party, or picking a campaign world, excuse me, and your rule system, explaining it to your players, and setting your expectations, and having them create characters with an eye towards everybody having a somewhat unique but overlapping roles overall to be successful.
1: And that's about all you could ask of a good game, is a, a session where everybody's got
0: a part to play. That is the, the heart to role-playing. Yeah. Oh. Yep. And making the people attached to the world, they're going to do that in, through play. That's the only way you can do it. As much pre-work as you can do, or as advanced as a campaign is with source books and lore, it's really invisible to them. It's got to come out through play and then discovery and investigation. And that only comes through engagement through play. And that is where we're going to leave that off right there. Now we're going to be remiss if we did not say thank you all for putting us over a hundred listens. So we were thought we were just being listened to by a couple people out there, uh, some guy out and
1: I assumed that like you know somebody's uh, you know smartphone broke and they were just stuck listening to us and it wasn't really yeah uh, it wasn't really anything that they they opted to do uh, by by choice. Uh, but rather, uh, I, they, they hit like by accident. Uh, but apparently, you like us. You really,
0: really like us. Yep, uh. so our little celebration for that is we have a Facebook page, The Dice Are Screaming. Make sure you check that out. And, of course, get in touch with us there. That puts all this other stuff aside because you can get a hold of us on Facebook, The Dice Are Screaming. That's it, right there. We'll be putting all our updates. And, of course, you can communicate back to us. But don't forget, Mike also flags the WordPress blog, the Dice are screaming. And of course you can also get a hold of us on Twitter at Death Hen, that's the E T H gaming. And Agile box is at Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter. So please keep the likes coming and the listens. Let us know what you like. What let us know what you'd like to hear and let us know where we kind of screw it up. And if we drift too much, which I think we're getting in danger of right now. But we're gonna be coming at you soon. Gen Con bound for me tomorrow, one day trip. That's all we can do, but good enough. And <laughs> of course, uh, we'll be getting more good game goodness with you. So may the dice ever roll in your favor.
1: We're out. We started the silence check this time, so we didn't. Forget.